Welcome to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Each week, our host, Dr. Laura Shinneman, dives deep into school library topics to help you build your skills and take charge of your own professional development. Her mission is to create an environment where librarians flourish and become lifelong learners. Now, on to today's podcast. I'm going to welcome the audience today to the Librarian Influencers Podcast, and today I have Lynn Bryan with me. Um, Lynn is somebody that I've known for several, several years, um, back in this time when I when he was in the state of Texas, but I'll let you tell him a little bit, tell us a little bit about your background in the library. So welcome, Lynn. Hey, thank you. I am super excited. This is, um, this is podcast to one of my favorite media. Uh, I listen to them all the time, so I'm really excited that you invited me to um, to participate in this one. Uh, my background is a weird deal. I have uh, <laughs> I was breaking this down for my current teammates where I work now, and you know they, we were talking about experiences and stuff. And I've I've taught in uh, four different states. Oh, wow. I've worked okay. in eight different school districts and a state agency. So mm-hmm. I grew up in uh, Louisiana. I did my undergraduate there, uh, taught English and coached basketball there briefly for one year and then moved to Texas. Uh, in Texas, I uh, taught English and coach volleyball, basketball, track, cross country. I did that for 11 years at the middle school and the high school level in uh, three different districts. Um, okay. And about 10 years into the, into the whole teaching and coaching thing in Texas, as you know, since, since you've been in Texas, mm-hmm. uh, the standardized testing piece, I, because I taught English, my kids were tested twice on reading and writing. Yeah. Yeah. And teaching really just became about teaching to the test and test prep. And that was one of the things that that just it drove me nuts because it took mm-hmm. it sucked all the fun out of teaching English. It sucked all the creativity out of writing. Uh, we had to teach the five sentence, five paragraph essay, and you know that stuff just 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 took all the joy away from the work that I was getting to do with my kids. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of looking around, looking around. It's like, well, do I? What do I want to do, do next? I want to stay involved with schools. I want to continue working in education because it's something I believe in. You know, I, I grew up in poverty in central Louisiana, uh, the second of five kids, single mom. My mom's a cafeteria lady. Um, mm. And education was the thing that made the difference for me. So I wanted to stay in schools. And uh, every principal I ever worked for said, hey, you need to become an administrator. You need to become an assistant principal because I'm six foot tall. I'm bald. I'm have a beard. I'm a scary looking guy. The disciplinarian thing um, appeals, I think, to a lot of the principals that I work for. And after seeing my principals and assistant principals deal with discipline and deal with irate parents and all Mm -hmm. the things that they had to do, I was like, I could do that job, but I don't think it would be any more fulfilling than teaching to the test. And I had um, I was at I was at Noel Grisham Middle School in Round Rock, Texas. Go Grizzlies at the time. And I had a rock star librarian at that building. And she was the first librarian that I'd worked with. And keep in mind, this is like my fifth district to work in. Wow. So she, okay. she was the first librarian I'd worked with. And I'd worked mm. with a lot of them who actually wanted to collaborate with teachers, who was actually a teacher herself, who taught students, you know, how to cite sources and how to do research and all that stuff. And at that time, ALA had put out this push to recruit younger people into the profession because, you know, people were aging out, retiring and that sort of thing. So um, she, she sent an email out to the staff. Uh, and I remember one of the lines very well. It said, uh, do, you know, do you like technology? Do you like books? Do you like working with kids? Are you a reader? Do you find yourself compulsively rearranging your friend's coffee table books? And I was like, yeah, that's totally me. I love that stuff. And, and she said, if so, you might want to consider being a school librarian. Here's what you have to do. Ah, okay. And it, it totally worked out. And, and it, it's, I'm a big believer in things happen the way they're supposed to happen when they happen. Mm-hmm. 
um, to, to kind of keep you going and keep you moving forward. And that, that, that email and my relationship with Lori Loringer at Grisham Middle School changed my life mm-hmm. uh, because she kind of took me under her wing and uh, I got into the MLS program at North Texas, um, which is an outstanding program. It was a blend of in-person and virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really lucky because Round Rock being a high growth district opened a new middle school and Lori left to be the librarian at the middle school. And I got to roll into that library job at Grisham oh, while I was still okay. in library school. Okay. So it was great because I got to apply all the stuff I was learning theoretically in library school mm-hmm. to my actual like life, to my work yeah. life during the day. Yeah. Um, it was great. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I did all that. Uh, I was at, I was at Grisham serving in the library role and uh, Round Rock being the growth district that they are opened the new high school. And I, I always wanted to go back to the high school level. You know, there's, there's a different kind of energy at high school. Mm-hmm. You know, you've mm-hmm. got uh, more students. There's all the uh, Friday night lights. There's the all the football stuff. Yeah. You know, the, all yeah. that craziness is going on in high school. So I always wanted to go back to the high school level. So um, I applied for that job, interviewed, uh, and got it. I was the fourth person hired at the high school. The principal, associate principal, principal secretary, athletic director, and then me. Oh, and wow. We owed they valued you. Yeah, it was, and, and I loved it. And I think what got me that job was telling him I can build a website. You know, I can be your webmaster if you want me to for the school. Okay. And he was like, oh yeah, we need a website because we have to do all this outreach and community mm-hmm. relations. We have to recruit students basically to come because they could opt in to the new school or they could stay at their home school. So okay. uh, he was excited that I was technically savvy and all that stuff. So the only thing that would have had me leave Grisham Middle School was a chance to open a new high school, which I got to do. And mm-hmm. we got a co-librarian who's awesome and we worked together really well. Our personalities played well together. We had a great assistant. Um, and we got to open a brand new, beautiful library and I got to buy all the books and all the technology. And, uh, that was great. So I was there for three years and then, um, I got an opportunity to do something different and there's a theme that's going to start emerging in my career after this. I have a screaming case of ADD and I get really (laughs) bored really easily, which is why I've changed jobs as much as I have. It's not necessarily because I become dissatisfied with something. Um, but it's because I have ADD and I want a challenge and I want to do new mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. So that's where the Texas State Library and Archives Commission came in. They needed okay. someone to be their school program coordinator to open up the TexQuest database program, which, okay. um, as you know, Texas had a K-12 databases program before. Um, and, uh, you know, the legislature t- took away the money for that. Then they then they got money back to do it again, but they wanted to do it differently. And um, they decided they needed a school librarian to kind of run it because I know schools and how districts work and all right. that kind of stuff. So I did that for a couple of years. I got to meet uh, amazing school librarians all over the state of Texas and the country because one of the things that um, the state library expected me to do was present at conferences, attend. Okay. I basically attended every conference you could possibly go to, regional conferences that the mm-hmm. service centers put on. Mm-hmm. I got to go out to districts and schools and do training on the TexQuest databases. And I got to meet people from you know every corner of Texas. I, I added it up um, one time close to my end of my tenure at the state library. In two years, I did about 300,000 miles. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Most of it by car. <laughs> yeah. Um, I flew, I would fly to El Paso occasionally. I would fly to the Valley yeah. occasionally, but I drove everywhere else in Texas, whether it was wow. Amarillo, you know, Texarkana, Houston. Um, 
I got, I got a strong relationship with the enterprise reps, the enterprise mm-hmm. rental car reps at, <laughs> in yeah. Austin because I was there every week. Hey, you're back. I was like, yeah. At least it wasn't your own car. <laughs> I know. It was so great. Yeah. No, that was, that was great. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. And um, the reason that I left Texas is a tough one, even still to this day, even though it's been several years to talk about because uh, Texas had cut Medicaid funding for a therapist and my wife is a pediatric occupational therapist and we were really concerned that she was not going to be able to make a living so we we decided you know we don't have kids if we're going to go and do experience another part of the country we need to go now Mm -hmm. so we started looking around for um for jobs for either of us and i found this i just lucked into this uh library director or or district librarian is what they call it in hillsborough oregon which is outside of portland and that actually came because I had a school program coordinator colleague, Jen Maurer in Oregon, who had said, hey, do you know anybody who wants this job? And I was like, I do. <laughs> so we moved halfway, we sold our house in Austin, moved halfway across the country to Oregon. Um, I've worked there for a couple of years and um, it was great because this, this, it was the West Coast. It was so much yeah. experience. We got to go to so the beach, different. we got to go to the mountains. Yeah. We got to have seasons and it, <laughs> it was a beautiful place. And I got to work with some really cool people in that in that school district so i was there for two years we got pregnant uh my wife and i had a had a baby and we are i am well into my 40s and it was a huge surprise it was a shock we were not expecting it weren't planning for it we had resigned ourselves to being a childless couple who has a thousand adopted dogs in our house and that was going to be our (laughs) life and um it it, we got pregnant so we we had a baby we had ella and then we decided we need to be closer to our grandparents so, um, and because of the situation with Medicaid in Texas, we couldn't go back to Texas. So I found this gig now. So now I'm at Denver Public Schools in Denver, Colorado. Okay. I'm the library technical systems manager, which means I supervise a staff of six people who uh, do everything from uh, our destiny administrator who administrates uh, destiny for us. Uh, oh, I have a web developer or systems developer an acquisitions person, two catalogers, and then we have a central library at the district office that circulates. Uh, we call it book baskets, but it's basically a set or sets, or it could be you know custom picked, custom curated um, books that we send out to teachers to use with their classes. And we also okay. have a set of about 100 and almost 200 makerspace kits. So oh, these are wow. tubs with connects or robots or Osmo or, oh, it's very cool. Um, and, and just before the pandemic, I bought a uh, augmented reality sandbox to go in the makerspace wow. kit. And this is a very, very fancy thing. And I encourage listeners and I'll, we can drop a link in the show notes too, to check out yeah. what AR sandbox is. It's a really cool thing. Okay. Uh, but just before the pandemic, we, we ordered that thing. We were going to take it to schools and do demonstrations for, for uh, learning about erosion and water tables, all sort of thing. Okay. Um, so it, it's, it's a neat, it's a neat gig that I have now because I supervise all those folks and I get to do professional learning and I get to do, um, I get to do uh, kind of the, the, the technical stuff that makes libraries work at a very high mm-hmm. level. So I have to figure out easy proxy, I have to figure out authentication, I have to figure out, you know, accessible web design, all that yeah. stuff. So okay. that was a very long conversation. Wow. Oh my gosh, it's, it's no, like, but, like 15 but for, minutes. But. but for the audience just to see where, where your school librarian degree can take you, you know, this certification can take you literally yeah. all around everywhere. What and How amazing. Also sounds like Denver is a place that people are looking at like, reinvigorating their own library program maybe they need to check out um what yeah and that's something i think that i think that um we have an interesting model in denver in that 
we it's it's a big district. We have about almost 100,000 kids in our in our okay, schools, wow. and we yeah. have about 154 campuses. And the thing that Denver does differently is we have a lot of local control. Like the principal is the agent of change, is kind of the the motto or whatever. Okay. So our staffing at the schools is runs the gamut from two librarians at one one of our high schools all the way down to a completely unstaffed library that has not mm. circulated a book since I've been here and I've been yeah. here for now yeah. three years. Okay. So okay. it's a neat it, it it it's a neat place, but there's a lot of inconsistency. And I think that's okay. one of the things that that that, you know, like I said before, everything happens for a reason. One of the things that I'm hoping to do is advocate and I, I've been doing this to to an extent, but I would do more of that is like advocate for uh, what I call a baseline level of excellence for all of our kids. Yes. Like every single kid in our district deserves a nurse, a counselor, mm -hmm. and a librarian. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that maybe that's why I'm here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that could be. That's, that's exciting. So you've been a librarian in several states how, with your Texas license, right? So how mm -hmm. did that transfer over to all these places or how, how did that work? Yeah, I, I transferred my license. I did have to be licensed in Oregon. Uh, because I was the district teacher librarian and that's a requirement mm -hmm. for the state. If you call somebody a librarian in Oregon, they must be licensed. Okay. So I did transfer my license to Oregon. My current role actually does not require a Colorado teaching li uh, teacher's license or a librarian license, okay. uh, but I'm in the process working very slowly because it's not required. So I don't have a lot of motivation to get it done, but I do need to get my Colorado license before my Oregon license expires. Okay. Uh, anybody who's changed states knows it's much easier if you have a current you know, active teaching license exactly. uh, okay. to, to have it transferred over. So okay. um, our Department of Education is slow, like many okay. of them are, you know, they're big yeah. bureaucracies. They take a long time to answer yeah. questions and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah. I'm in the process of doing that now. So do you, do you know, are you versed enough to talk about Colorado? Like what's required there to be a- Yeah, I did a little bit of research. Okay. <laughs> thanks to your question. Thanks for sending right. me the questions ahead of time. I did some research. Uh, I have a link uh, that I guess we can also drop in yeah, the show notes the show too. Notes, yeah. So the teacher librarian endorsement in Colorado is not a standalone license. It has to be added to an existing teaching license for a, okay. a content area, grade level, whatever. Uh, luckily, I'm also certified in English. Um, and I have expired certifications in health and physical education as well. Okay. So um, I have lots of certifications back in the dark archives of my career. Um, so uh, in addition to it being a, uh, added on to an existing teaching license, you also must have uh, attended an approved teacher librarian preparation program. Okay. Uh, and it has to include practicum in both elementary and secondary schools, oh, which I thought okay, was interesting. Because it's, yeah. yeah. it's a K-12 okay. license, yeah. yeah. And then um, they have a list of knowledges and uh, knowledge and competency that you need to demonstrate probably for most people through the practicum experience, but I okay. imagine you could use work experience uh, okay. to do that as well. Well, that's great. Okay, yeah. so you've told us a lot of different stories already, but remember <laughs> our, our audience is, you know, is usually first, second, third year librarians, so still kind of new. Um, so what do you remember about your early years? I had a, uh, as I mentioned before, I had an unusual experience in that I became the campus librarian at a campus at which I had already worked for several years. I think mm -hmm. I had been at Grisham for three, three and a half years before I became the librarian there. So I knew every teacher, I knew almost all the students because I taught, uh, we were a pretty small school. We had about 600 kids. Mm -hmm. So um, I taught almost all the kids. If I didn't know that student specifically, I probably knew their older brother or sister. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, it, it happens so when you teach a small there. school, yeah. you'll get sibling yeah. groups, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I inherited an amazing library from a rock star who had done 
you know, had done the job really well. So I started off my library career on a very strong footing. Um, the campus loved library. They loved the library. The principal was a big supporter of libraries. Um, they knew me. They knew what they were getting when I interviewed. You know, I knew the parents. I knew the PTA. All that stuff. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I learned in that first year was how important connections with the community are. I mean, okay. and, and we talk about, you know, you need to connect with your principal, you need to connect with your students, you need to connect with your teachers. But I think the thing that, that I didn't do, that I probably wouldn't have done as well if I hadn't already been connected to that community was reach out to uh, the PTA, for example, okay. uh, or um, local businesses. I did um, ask folks to donate things to the library all the time. And I think that's one step in having a relationship. But the other step is also, you know, what can the library do for you? Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I've often advised folks to do is to invite community organizations to have meetings in the library, especially if it's after school hours and it won't okay. disrupt the day. Um, the Quilting Society, the Columbus, you know, Knights of Columbus, the, yeah. the Masons, whoever, you know, and let them come in and use the library. And in exchange, let me tell you, give me five minutes to tell you about what we're doing for kids. Mm -hmm. um, so I think if I, had, if I had to do over again, I would have done that at a much more active level than I did. Okay. Um, okay. But forming those partnerships are huge because, uh, and, and, and this is something I've said for years, you know, everything that we do is library advocacy and we have mm -hmm. to advocate for the program. We have to advocate for our kids access yeah. to a library program. Mm -hmm. And we are not the right person to do that because it, it comes off as icky and self-serving because I'm trying to save my job. Yeah. It's better if we can recruit people to do that for us. And parents are great. Teachers are great. Kids are great. Uh, but, but if you can have the mayor or a city council member or the, you know, chief of the Ladies Quilting Society or whatever, talk point. about how great that school library program is, that's, that's way more impactful than, than me talking about it. Very because, good point. Again, it comes across as kind of icky if I do it. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So if you could send yourself any advice back when you were first starting out, what, what would you have told yourself? I would have listened to my mom better. My mom gave me two great pieces of advice before okay. she passed away. She said, never pass up the opportunity to go to the bathroom <laughs> okay. or, or to keep your mouth shut. And oh. that's something that I've had to work on. And I still work on it now because I am very much a work in progress, even though I'm well into my career. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And one mm -hmm. of the things that I didn't do very well when I was a younger librarian and even as a teacher and coach is I didn't listen and I didn't create opportunities for people to share what they wanted to see in the library okay. program. Okay. I'm the one with the degree. I'm the one who, Hey, I, I have a master's in this. I know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. Uh, I was the quote unquote expert. And I, my first several years in the library, I really had a clear picture and a vision of what I wanted the program to look like, how I wanted it to work, what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do for okay. the students and the teachers. And one of the things that I failed to do was create those conversations and give okay. people a voice and listen That's more true. than I speak. You know, because you do come in thinking, oh, this is my library. I've been waiting yeah. for this. But but you're right. It, it, we need we need their voice. Yeah, and 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 and, that, and the way you put it is perfectly too, because I think that that's a that's a that's a very prevalent thought that librarians have is this is mine mm -hmm. and it's not ours. It's not. It's not. We're just the caretaker. Yes, we're just the manager. You know, we yeah. we this doesn't belong to us. It belongs to our kids and it belongs mm -hmm. to our teachers and our families. Mm -hmm. um, we're just the person in the room, and yeah. that I think that that taking that step back and 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 
changing that mindset um, is super, super important. And I think the most successful school librarians are the ones who see that early mm -hmm. and who make that a part of who they are. Yeah, good point. Now you, you mentioned the person in the room. Let, let's talk about your room right now. Where, where are you working? Are you working face-to-face -face right. or remote? What are you doing right now? I am currently in my basement at my okay. house, which is a blessing and a curse. You know, I, um, so I, I work in the district, in one of the district offices. Uh, we have a large, you know, we're a large urban school district in Denver, and we have, um, we have several facilities scattered around the city for central office administration and other, you know, divisions of our district. Mm -hmm. We work in a, a satellite office with a couple of other departments. And the reason we're in there is because the satellite office has a, uh, has a loading dock. You know, we do books and we do oh, computers yeah. and yeah. we do that kind of stuff. So we had to have a building with a loading dock. Our okay. central uh, office um, downtown is a 16 story building with no loading dock. So right. uh, they, they put us out there, which is great. I like, I like that, but um, I'm also not in contact with other people at the central office physically, mm -hmm. you know, we don't see each other at the coffee machine and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, right now we're remote working. Um, I love it because at, at my office, I'm in a cube farm and I'm right <laughs> by the door and I'm right by the loading dock. So it's very noisy, lots of traffic. It's hard to concentrate, <laughs> oh, which gosh. is one reason I love podcasts so much because I put on my great big oh, noise canceling yes. headphones yep. and listen to podcasts all day. And while I'm working and it, it's, it's good, but um, I'm living my best life during remote learning. I, my yard, has never looked so good. I go out <laughs> yeah. every hour or so and mow and weed and water and all the things that you have to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great. Um, the stuff that I'm kind of working on right now in remote, in addition to supporting my team, which is my mm -hmm. primary job, I have six people that report to me and, and I basically, you know, I'm their manager. So I have to approve time off. And, right. and, and really right now, a lot of it is emotional support helping people be okay with not being as productive as yes. we normally are. Yeah. Um, that's something that, that I've really tried to get across to my team um, since all the stuff ha started happening in March and, and, and moving into the fall is it's okay uh, if you're not cataloging as many books as you normally do. It's okay mm -hmm. if the website isn't getting updates as much as you want, you know, um, and, and letting people feel permission to do that. Um, I had a team, I had a, a you know team, team member who was really struggling with that productivity piece. And a big part of that was just, I am less productive. You are less productive. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to start scheduling walks. You know, I want you okay. to get up and get out of your chair. Yes. I want you to go for a walk twice a day. Yes. Uh, go once in the morning, once in the afternoon and yep. um, give yourself that permission to do that. So it's a, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's a lot of that. And then, mm -hmm. um, you know, working on, uh, right now is our goal setting season for the year. So we're working on uh, setting meaningful goals that are going to impact mm -hmm. student learning okay. in this crazy time where yeah. you know, a lot of it is going to be pointing yeah. toward our electron uh, electronic resources right now, because that's yeah. where we are. Most of our kids are remote learning. Yeah. I've never appreciated my, my Apple watch more than now, <laughs> like when it will tell me to stand up, you know, yeah. and then something else that I, I do, I've started doing is I don't plug my laptop in when I start working because it's charged. Oh, and then as it idea. dies down, I have to get up because otherwise I just sit here and I just keep working yeah. and, you know, doing whatever. So that's oh, one that's thing I do, I do. And then I'll I'm charge. Unplug my laptop now. That's yes. brilliant. I love it. <laughs> but it forces me to take the breaks because to me, man, if I'm charged and going, then I'm, I'm going to work. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Silly one, but, but it works for me. So I love it. It's great. <laughs> All right. Okay. You've seen um, librarians 
across different states. And I'm sure that, that you've seen similarities, you've seen differences, mm -hmm. but, but um, influence is something that they all have. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how you see um, librarians have influence where you are. One of the things that, that I've noticed as I've, as you said, I've gone, I've, I've met librarians from all over the world, really. I mean, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm good friends with a lot of uh, school librarians in Australia uh, because they, they came to South by Southwest one year, did a presentation. Ah, it was a big group okay. of like 30 of them. So it was really cool. Um, one of the things that, that, that is emerging for me is I think a lot of librarians don't understand the influence that they have or yes, they, they downplay it yeah. or they think, oh, I'm just a librarian um, and they don't understand the influence that they have. And a couple ways that this really struck me was um, for many people, you may be the only school librarian they will ever meet mm -hmm. and how we conduct ourselves and how we um, present ourselves to our, our teachers or students, our, our administrators, our communities, um, that is, that is going to be their impression of librarians forever. Yeah. Uh, if you have a bad math teacher, that's one math teacher out of dozens that you may have right. in your life. You know, if you have an English teacher who, you know, only teaches Shakespeare, nothing else, that's one English teacher out of probably a dozen you're going to have in yeah. your life. You know, but if you have one bad librarian or one librarian who doesn't like kids or doesn't, you know, whatever it might be, whatever the negative mm -hmm. stereotypes might be, um, that has a, a an outsized influence uh, because you're it. You know, yeah. you're the only one in that school. And, yeah. you know, like in my case in Hillsborough, I was the only one for the district. So I had influence oh, wow. over 25,000 students. I had influence over 25 campuses. Every principal wow. looked to me as what a librarian is or is not. Mm -hmm. So, and and we all have that. And I think one of the things that, that, that uh, many of our colleagues don't do is they don't take that responsibility as seriously as they should. Mm -hmm. uh, and here's another example. All of our future principals that are going to be running our schools and later superintendents, they're teaching in our classrooms right now. You're right. Um, or they're finishing, they're finishing grad school. You know, um, one of the things that I did when I was at uh, the high school was we had lots of teachers who were going on to get their master's degrees in curriculum or supervision or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I always made, made a blanket offer to any of them. If you need help doing research, working through your databases at whatever school you're in, yeah. come to me. I'll, I'll proofread your papers. I taught English. I can help you with that. Yeah. Um, I can help you do research because yeah. I wanted those people who are going to be future leaders to be like in awe of the library and what the library can do. And I want them Great to be library idea. cheerleaders and like, yeah. oh my gosh, we have to have this. This is so important. And it's a simple thing. And mm -hmm. it's, it, it's, it's a great way to build relationships with existing teachers, but also give them insight into what a library program can do, not just for them as they're working through grad school, but also for their kids. You know, we talk yeah. a lot about college and career readiness. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing gets them better prepared for college, especially than laying that strong foundation for research skills, yeah. you know, knowing how to use a database, knowing how to cite your sources, knowing how to write a paper, you mm -hmm. know, uh, they get some of that instruction in, in their AP classes or in their English or history classes, but the librarian is one who can bring that together for the whole mm -hmm. school. So I would, I, the biggest piece of advice I would give, you know, early career or, or folks that are still in library school is don't discount the influence that you can potentially have. It's, yeah. it's huge for the, for the good or for the bad, you know, yeah. it, it could go either way. Good point. Good point. So is there any new kind of influence that you're working on this school year? The big thing for us. Um, yeah, we, um, 
we're uh, we're undertaking a great deal of uh, equity work in our district, as I'm sure okay. a lot of districts around the country are yeah. doing. Yeah. Really recognizing that, and and this is something I really have to applaud the leadership of Denver Public Schools for. Is is one of the things that that we're doing as a district is we are owning the fact that we have been horribly racist for a very long time hmm. uh, as a district, as an educational institution, as an educational industry. Our entire command and control and compliance structure that we've put on our kids and, our, and to a lesser extent on our teachers as well is horribly inequitable and horribly racist and is, has been a disservice to so many of our kids for so long. So we're taking active steps to do that. So one okay. of the things that I'm trying to do to advocate for libraries in this is promoting our culturally sustainable collections that we, we've done. A, uh, we have a whole team in our department. We're a huge department. We have a whole team of four people who are a collection development team. And they've done a oh, great wow. job of helping make sure that our physical books in our libraries and our online resources, such as our eBooks, okay. um, truly represent our kids and truly okay. represent the communities that we serve. Okay. And we promote that stuff. We promote that stuff through Twitter. We promote it through Instagram, through Facebook, uh, newsletters that we send out to, you know, to schools. Um, that's something we, we take very seriously. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a long way to go. We have a lot of work to do. But um, I'm working with our, uh, we call it the CELT team. It's, the, the, um, it's our equity team. I'm working with them to help them troubleshoot how to move all of our equity work from in-person in instruction to online okay. instruction. So that's, okay. that's one area where I'm trying to inf be influential and show folks at the leadership level that you know, libraries can be integral to transforming yeah. education, not just for our kids, but for the grownups right. that work right. in our district. So are they doing like equity audits? Is that kind of what they're looking at? With yeah, the that's a big piece. Yeah, okay. that's a big part of it. Yeah, we've done equity audits um, on uh, for our schools. Yeah, we do mm -hmm. that with the collections. Uh, our collection development team has developed an equity audit tool that works Ooh. really well. Um, we're can piloting the tool. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think I, I think I have access to it in Drive. Yeah, I can okay. share it with you for sure. That and then we're also yeah, we're also piloting a, a collection analysis tool that Follett is doing. Um, by the time this podcast come out, comes out, this should be out in the world. They told us not to tell anybody about it because it's oh, still okay. working. <laughs> but by the time this comes out, we should be fine. Um, and I don't care. Follett can just slap me on the hand. That'll be fine. I'll ask Britain for forgiveness. It'll be fine. Um, but yeah, we're piloting a, a tool that will do, uh, they've always had this crazy title-wise analysis that'll tell you everything you mm -hmm. want to know about the collection. Mm -hmm. uh, but they've added a layer to look at your representation, to look at whose voice oh, is that's missing. beautiful. It's yes. so cool. Yeah, I can't yes. wait to see it. We're gonna get, we got some preview uh, like screenshots this week and then we're gonna do, we're gonna set up a training uh, with some representatives from follow up next week. Um, and I think they know, they recognize as a company that, that we're really embracing equity work as a library program and as yeah. a district. Yeah. So, and Denver being a big district, we're pretty highly visible. Um, it's a great place to, to pilot stuff like that because we're already knee deep in that work. So mm -hmm. this is one more tool that we can apply to that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, we've got, we've got tools galore and the four ladies who do our collection development work are amazing. They wow. are, they have their finger on the pulse of our communities and our collections um, have been, you know, they're like every library collection. They always need to be weeded and updated and yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. But ours, ours is really in good shape. When I think of Colorado and uh, well-managed collections, Keith Curry Lance comes to mind. Yep. It would be awesome if he could be a part of all, all this stuff that y'all oh, are doing. Oh, I know. But, um, I know. Yeah, neat. Now, I, I know a phrase that I had seen you write in my notes here is that school libraries are equity engines. 
And I kind of, that's, that's a neat way to, a, a visual, you know, that's coming to my mind. So describe that a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about that idea. Sure. Yeah. First, I love alliteration, you know, yeah. equity engines will start yeah. with an E, um, you know, being an English teacher, I love that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. that's the thing that, that's the thing that um, I feel like that's our secret. That's going to be our secret sauce to, to, to really pushing the equity work forward from just resolutions and statements and things like that to actually seeing it uh, manifest itself in real life in our schools. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, the, the, the tendency to, that um, that we've had in our country over the last 50 years or so is our wealthy white, you know, upper or middle class schools tend to be the mm -hmm. ones that have amazing library programs yeah. because they have the resources, yeah. they have the parental support, they have the expectation that, you know, my kid gets access to a library. Yeah. Um, and Denver is a great example because we have a we have a huge amount of income inequity across our district uh, because we're such a large district. We we really um, uh, capture lots of different segments of society. And we have that in our, in our district too. We have a couple of wealthy schools that the PTA actually funds the librarian position. Oh, wow. You know, and the how position? Is that fair? Yeah, the how is that fair? Oh, yes, wow. they pay the salary. They provide, <laughs> you know, our voters in Denver years ago uh, approved a mill levy. So they get, our district gets $6 per student for our library books, which is okay. that's primarily our book budget for the district. That's what we spend. Okay. Um, which is great because every school gets it. It doesn't matter, you know, where you are in the district, every single student gets $6 per kid for library books, which is great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the materials are there. We have a great uh, ebook collection. We have 30,000 some odd titles in our ebook collection. Uh, we have an amazing print collection, but we don't have staffing in all of our buildings to yeah. get those books into our kids' hands. Yeah. You know, like I said before, some buildings are completely unstaffed. Others have parent volunteers who come in three hours a week, wow. you know, so, or we have other schools with two librarians and, mm -hmm. and, and you know, those kids get a very different experience than predominantly our black and brown poor kids do. Mm -hmm. So, and part of that is staffing. I mentioned earlier, we have local control and principals are yeah. allowed to kind of staff the schools however they see fit. And a big chunk of that is because of the, the historically racist deficit mindset that we have around kids who are not wealthy and white is, oh, these kids are broken and need to be fixed. They're behind or they're below or they're low performing. Um, you know, that, we could go for hours about that. But that, that means that instead of a librarian, I'm going to staff a dean of discipline or mm -hmm. I'm going to staff an extra interventionist or I'm going to yeah. staff an instructional coach because not only are my kids broken, deficient, or behind, but my teachers are broken, deficient, or behind. And they need instructional coaching, you know, to yeah. help them raise test scores or whatever the metric of the month yeah. is. So that's part of it. Uh, so there's vast inequities, you know, and, yeah. and not just here, you know, Den Denver is an amazing district that's doing great work for kids. Um, but I think that those inequities exist across the country. And I've seen mm -hmm. enough of the country to be pretty confident saying that. And this kind of ties back to your advocacy at the beginning of when you're not going to toot your own horn, if you can get other people talking about exactly. these things and then maybe exactly. something will happen. Exactly. And you probably have noticed in my tone of voice that I, this is something that this is the piece that I am super passionate about mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. if we don't tell our story, somebody else will. And if we don't frame for our communities and our leadership, whatever it might be, the power that school libraries have to transform the lives of our kids, somebody else is going to tell that story. And they're going to tell it based on what they see, which is somebody sitting at a desk, checking books in and out to kids. A high school student can do that. 
it doesn't require a master's degree. It doesn't require any specific yeah. training. It doesn't, yep. it doesn't require anything special, which is why you yeah. see professional librarians replaced by paraprofessionals, mm -hmm. then parent volunteers, then the mm -hmm. doors of the library close altogether because yeah. we have failed to tell that story. And this yeah. has been the case for, for decades, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think recruiting people from the community to learn about the library, to serve on an advisory group for the library. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great strategy. It's in the ASL standards. Yep. You know, it's one of the things that that is a very clear best practice is to have students and parents and community members provide some input on how the library is run, how it can best serve them. And, and that mm -hmm. goes back to listening too, right? Yep. Creating a space for people to give you advice, letting go of your ego. All coming together. Working on, right? <laughs> That's There's good. a theme. It's almost there like is. it is. And so, you, I mean, you, you've given so many great ideas. So when people are, are thinking about like, what could be a first step that I actually do? Like, what do you think of as some first steps for the listeners to do? If I'm a, yeah. So if for people that are already working in libraries at the moment, if you're serving as a, like an early career or you're in a new space, if you're like me and you've job hopped a bunch and you're, you're in, in a new place, the most important thing that we can do in our roles is to curate relationships as carefully and yeah. as thoughtfully as we curate books or yeah. websites or databases, you know, um, mm -hmm. and building that relationship is hard work. It is, it is intensely emotional labor mm -hmm. um, to go to, let's say your principal, for example, you know, your if your principal is the one who hired you, you have the beginnings of relationship through that interview process. You may have the beginnings of relationship through the evaluation process that they have to do every year with all their teachers. And that's, that's okay, but that's not enough. You've got to take the time and make an effort to, I, I really feel like as an employee of an organization, my job is to make my boss look good. Yeah, and your job as a librarian is to make your principal look good. And part of that is going to be going to that person and saying, hey, what are you struggling with? What are some of the things that I can take off your plate? How can I help you? Mm -hmm. And one example was, you know, when I opened the, the high school in Round Rock was saying, hey, I'll build your website for you and I'll run it. You yeah. know, that has almost nothing to do with the library, but I can do it. I know how, and if there's something I don't know, I can go learn because I'm a lifelong learner. So, and that took a, a tremendous load off his plate, uh, got me the job probably, and then also um, made his life easier. And that's my job. I need to make my principal or my leader look good and make their life easier. So that's a good part of relationship building. You know, relationships is not about what can you do for me? It's about what can we do for each other? It's just like a friendship. It's a give and take. So I would say that is the first thing I would do uh, in, when I go into a new school when I graduate get my first library job is really look around and see who and be strategic about it we're not going to be everybody's best buddy but who who do I really need to become buddies with and who are the people that I need to have a strong relationship with your principal your custodian your lunchroom lady and uh, your PTA president I would say would be my top four uh, get to know those those important human beings who make the wheels run school secretary five I forgot her yeah, that's a very important. Um, <laughs> it's huge, right? If yeah. you have an accountant or a bookkeeper in your school, if you have, if you're at a big school, you know, yeah. add number six. Think yeah. about the people that that make things happen, and 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 really carefully curate those relationships. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking about knowing what your principles, you know, what's on their plate that you could take off. When I always like to encourage people when you do your goal setting at the beginning of the year, of course you want to, you know, have your library goals, things you want to do, but also figure out a way to make a goal that's going to tie into something that your principal is trying to do so that you can show the value or the connection, you know, that you have 
um, in that role. Well, that is awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, schools Great. and districts have their vision and mission statements. Uh -huh. um, and that should be your vision and mission for your library. Right. And I think it should be explicit, explicitly rolled up from the library all the way mm -hmm. to the district level. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever's important to my district is important to me. Yeah. If it's good. graduation rate, attendance, whatever. Um, I'm going to take that on and I'm going to contribute to that. Absolutely. Because yeah. they need to see where we make a difference because we do, you know, we're part yeah. of that student success for sure. Absolutely. All right, Lynn. So as we're starting to wrap our time up, um, we're, you know, you're tra you've traveled everywhere. You've seen a lot of things. So what, <laughs> what do you do to keep learning and growing besides move <laughs> and be inspired by new things? Learn but, about a new state every couple yeah. of years. Um, yeah, yeah, no, uh, for me, there's 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 so much out there, and I think that one of the things that um, one of the things that that school librarians do really well is we connect. Um, mm -hmm. um, I use Twitter. Twitter is my main connection to folks, both in places where I have been, and you know, people that I meet at conferences and workshops and, and uh, study groups and that sort of thing. So I would say, if you don't have a Twitter account, get one. Um, I'm a big I'm a big proponent of curation of curating your Twitter feed to include uh, your professional contacts, the hashtags that you need to follow, mm -hmm. TL Chat, Future Ready Librarians, ASL, you know all the big ones, and then your state your state organizations as mm -hmm. well. Um, if you if you uh, do that strategically, and what I, one way I approach it is I kind of use Twitter for my professional stuff and I use Facebook okay. for my personal stuff. I keep in, okay. keep in touch with family and friends. You can yeah. have multiple accounts. So have a personal account, have a professional account um, and, and, and curate that so that you are getting the best ideas from the smartest yeah. people from all over the country. And a piece yeah. of that for me especially has been in the last year or so, I've made a very concerted effort to follow as many black educators as I possibly can. Um, people in the black community who are leading the anti-racist work that's going on right now. That has been a very important piece to me and my mind has been completely blown by all the stuff that I was completely ignorant of before I made that effort to start diversifying my Twitter feed because if all you follow are school librarians, mm -hmm. it's probably going to be middle-aged white women. That's just mm -hmm. the demographics of our profession. Um, yeah, I think it's important to, to diversify as well as you know, curate mm -hmm. the stream of information you want. So I learned a lot. Um, okay. Another thing that, that I do is um, I follow the Knowledge Quest blog. Okay. I briefly blogged for them before the world ended. My time absolutely became, mm -hmm. uh, became extremely limited, but I learned yeah. a great deal about what people are, are dealing with and doing through that. And then now it's even easier to attend conferences because a lot of them are going virtual. The logistics are no longer as much of an issue. Right. Uh, the costs, unfortunately, some places are still charging an arm and a leg. So the cost is always going to be a problem. Yeah. But, um, but um, I try to attend as many um, uh, webinars, conferences, just to keep a, just to keep a firm grip on what's going on mm -hmm. um, in our profession and in, in education in general. In, in general. And I would say, even if you have to pay your own way, I always tell my supervisor, hey, I'm going to go to this conference. Can you, can you reimburse me? Yeah. Um, it never hurts to ask. And I think it, it helps us to show that we're engaged in our profession, um, mm -hmm. that we care about learning, that we want to be lifelong learners and we want to take that step. Yeah. Um, even if there's never a budget for it, I always ask anyway. Uh, Good point. Uh, leaders always have, they have couch money, especially at the end of the year. You go to May and June toward the end of the school year, they have budget money that they didn't spend. Mm -hmm. You know, I call this couch money. I used to advocate 
for my principals to give me whatever budget money you have that you didn't spend for the end of the year, I'll spend it on yeah. library books or I'll yeah. spend it on chairs for the library or something. I'm yeah. happy to spend your money if you find that, you know, I call it couch money. It's just like yeah. change you find in the couch cushions. I don't care. If when, you're, when you're new, a librarian, you may not realize that happens, but we used to call exactly. it sweeping, sweeping the accounts that we would sweep exactly. everything it's, in. It's so important. it is something you can ask for. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I always have a list. I always have yeah. a list ready to go. Yes. That of smart. stuff that I want to buy, but I can't because I've depleted yeah. my budget. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, yeah. That's helpful. <laughs> Very good. All right, Lynn. Well, I'm sure our listeners are going to want to follow you. So where, where are they? I know you mentioned Twitter. Where, how can yeah. they find you online on Twitter? That's it. I'm at Lynn Bryan 25. Um, okay. 25 was my high school basketball jersey number. Um, <laughs> and that differentiates me from all the other people that, that are out there. And they can okay. also email me anytime at librarianlynn okay. at gmail.com. Okay. I am happy to visit with people, answer questions, be a thought partner. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely busy. I have a two year old, but, um, <laughs> she goes to bed early and, and my nights are mine for the most part. So That's I'm great. happy to connect with people on social media or if they just want to email me directly. Um, I'm always, always love helping, especially people that are new to the profession, um, mm -hmm. and have questions and maybe they don't have a formal, a formal mentorship structure or something like yeah. that. Um, not that I know everything, but they can at least bounce ideas. Off. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Lynn. It was awesome talking to you. Um, have a great day, and I look forward to, to learning more from you over time. Thank you so much. This has been a blast. Good. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.